You're listening to the following program on TFN Audio from the Fantasy Network, where independent creators and fans of fantasy, sci-fi, horror, and gaming meet to create, stream, and support the shows that they love. Creator-distributed, fan-supported, that's TFN. Find this and many more great programs at watch.thefantasy.network slash audio. Three. The memories often came as dreams, on the infrequent nights where he managed to catch a few hours of sleep in his bed. They were always the same, always chronological, and always impossible to stop, even though he always tried to. It was always December 16th, 1933 in Chicago, the Windy City. Ginger and Jim were walking home from the Christmas shopping, the snow falling around them in a thick white blanket. The wind coming in from Lake Michigan was cold as a knife, but when they walked close together, they barely felt it. Jim had his arm around her, Ginger's long hair looking almost radiant silver against her dark coat and hat. Snowflakes caught in it and made it shimmer a little. They rounded a corner, talking about the musical they had seen the night before. Jim the Dreamer always tried to stop them, to turn the other way. But Jim the young man with the arm around his wife didn't seem to react to the impulses from his future self. He pulled out a cigarette case and was just about to light one. When the car parked by the curb in front of them opened its doors, and four men got out. They were all holding weapons, Jim knew, but didn't see at the time. Thompson submachine guns, forty-five caliber, Heavy, deadly, and almost impossible to aim once you started firing. The four men raised their weapons into firing positions, and now the young Jim was aware of the situation. He grabbed Ginger, tried pulling her back behind him. His service revolver was in his pocket, but there was no time to get it out. The gunfire sounded like an explosion. The four men were firing into the shop window they stood in front of, Jim later found out it was a florist who'd refused to pay the protection money to the mob. And the glass shattered with a sound like bells in the middle of the loud rumble. The gunman on the left was obviously young and more inexperienced in the use of his weapon. Once he started firing, he lost his footing in the slippery snow and he began to turn sideways. Had he been right-handed, the machine gun in his hand would have cut his own compatriots down saving the world the expense of their trial and incarceration. Unfortunately, this particular gunman was left-handed, and so turned his fire towards the left. When you are firing and lose control like that, there are two things you can do. Stop firing and adjust your aim, or just keep firing and hope you'll hit something else that needs to be gunned down. Ginger was hit with eight shots. Three of them fatal. Jim didn't even have a chance to scream her name before the bullets hit his own body. He had no idea how many bullets hit him, since later he was told that he must have been so incredibly lucky not to have been hit at all. He knew it wasn't so. He felt the bullets go in, hitting his chest, his arms and legs, throwing him to the ground and plowing through the snow until he came to rest up against the streetlight. The cold from the snow seemed to make his entire body freeze up, 
He ordered his body to get to its feet, to draw the pistol from his shoulder holster and fire, but it did not respond. Only the cold and the dark seemed real. And then, the darkness was all around him. This was the point that Jim would always wake up, soaked in sweat, his mouth open in a silent scream. His hands would slide over his chest, his arms and legs, searching for the holes that weren't there. But he knew there was more to the experience than he could remember. Ignore City, the audio fiction rock musical, is now part of the Fantasy Network. In this post-apocalyptic future where technology is outlawed, Devin Rimpa, a scrappy spike messenger, befriends a sentient robot head named Saner0805. She embarks on a grand adventure through Ignore City to save civilization before government agents catch up with her. It's Futurama meets The Terminator, but with singing. Available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and podcast platforms everywhere. When he had been in the hospital and they had told him that he had gotten off without a scratch, when they told him that Ginger had died almost instantly, and he himself had gotten off without even a paper cut, he felt angry, betrayed. It had been his place to die, his time, yet he lived. As time went on, Jim found that many things were not what they had been. He now healed damage to his body at an incredible rate. A surface wound would close in seconds. A deeper wound, like a gunshot, would close in minutes, the bullet or fragments being spat out one by one, like wet little afterbirths. The one time he decided to try and see exactly how much his ability could handle, and where he had not cared if he lived or died anymore, he had jumped in front of a freight train. He had felt the pain of the impact, and had woken up a while later with a splitting headache, his clothes torn to shreds, and Chicago Passenger Rail almost stamped into his forehead from the locomotive. That had taken a few hours to go away. The spirits had not shown up at first, but it hadn't taken them long. First one, then two, and finally they were everywhere. He suspected that he at first had dismissed them as figments of his imagination until they became too obvious for him to ignore. The spirits didn't usually talk, but would gesture or beckon him closer, trying to make him understand. It was, however, almost impossible to speak to the mute ones, when you didn't know what questions to ask. In a murder investigation, however, they were valuable clues that helped him solve multiple cases. He was promoted, celebrated, and he knew none of it was earned. As time went by, he found out he also lacked another vital component in his life. He no longer aged. The first few years, he could explain it with good genes and a healthy diet, something people who knew him well would say was silly, considering his three packs of Marlboros a day. But eventually he decided he had to move on, leaving his job, his friends, and his life behind him. People had begun asking too many questions, and the best way of getting rid of questions was to start over. Life had taken him many strange places over the years, places that still filled both his living and sleeping mind. He had been in Berlin in 1944, 
sent as a secret agent to steal an Enigma machine. He had been in Korea, Indochina, Cambodia, and in Vietnam. And in between, he had traveled around America, trying to find a place where he could be left alone. In 1985, in a Greyhound terminal in Kansas City, he had stood for a long time, holding his suitcase in his hand and wondering where to go next. The radio in the terminal was playing, and the voice of a young man told the listener that in San Francisco, the streets were filled with gentle people with flowers in their hair. He had heard the song before, but he took it as a sign. And the city by the bay had been the home he had looked for. He had set himself up as a private investigator with psychic powers, as his ad had said in the Yellow Pages, and had managed to help many people who had problems with spirits. Jim couldn't force the spirits to cross over, only tell them that it would be a good idea. Sometimes he wasn't even sure that was true. Since his own experience with death and now his inability to die, he had felt a cold hate against whatever power had done this to him. He despised religion, and all the people believing in a god looking out for them, and claiming that the deity needed the help of the worshippers. Whoever or whatever had forced him to go through endless life without Ginger did not deserve his thanks or his help. He had always wondered if whatever power had brought him back had done so for a reason. And if there had been others... <laughs>